All right. Hey, good morning, Four Corners. How we doing? We're good. Hey, it's kind of like a sprinter kind of day, right? It's a mixture of spring and winter, but that's Cincinnati, and we're so glad that you're here with us. Sophia said it on the video, but make sure today on your chair, there's a Connect card, and we want you to fill this out because we don't want to just hear a word, and we're going to hear a word today from the Bible directly, but we don't want you to just hear a word. We want to take action on it. So whatever we got to persuade you with, if it's free Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, but we want you to fill this out and we want to take some next steps. Hey, it is a joy and an honor for me to be here, to be able to speak to you this morning. And I want to share just real quickly three things that I love about Four Corners. Now, this is really hard because the list goes, goes, is really, really long, but three things I love about Four Corners. And the first one is we field two competitive men's softball teams. And you're laughing. I got a little bit of laughs. I know it's first service, but the first year that we played, the first year, probably five, six years ago, we had one team and we went 0-10 in the season. And there was probably, you know, six or seven or eight local churches in this area. And they absolutely smoked us every single week. But I got to say, we were like the Cleveland Browns of church softball teams. I don't know if there's like a, a, a list or order, but we were terrible. And this year, we, have, we don't only have, to have one team, we have two. And the team that I am, I am on, which is pretty cool, is the gray team. And we beat the Four Corners white team by about 16 runs on Tuesday night. So go ahead and give us a, give us a hand clap of praise. I saw some teammates coming in. We're still celebrating that. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a funny part. The second thing I, I want to uh, share with you is since 2010, this church has sent over $600,000 away from this church away from this building to fund missionaries, to fund missions, to fund churches, to fund orphanages as far as India. It's pretty cool that a part of my job is this outreach component, outreach programs that we have. And here's the truth, that the message of Jesus is being shared in many other places, not just in this room this morning. And it it is an honor to be able to lead that. I want to just list off real quick. Orphanage and church in southern India where there's 50 girls, there's 10 boys, there's seven pastors and their families that are sponsored by people within this church. That's pretty awesome. There's fresh water wells pumping water in Uganda, Africa. We're sending our first mission trip this year in September to Cuba. We have hundreds of packed lunches just this week have been packed in Hamilton, Ohio, because of the generosity of this church. In over 50 families, in our church family, in the last five years, over 50 families have been able to go through counseling, professional counseling, to restore relationships, to restore their family, just because this place is so generous. And here's the thing, here's the last thing I love, and this is where it all starts. We have a great senior pastor. I think we, we, say, we can say this, but Pastor Ben has led this church since day one. And what's really cool is we get to meet every Monday at Waffle House, some of you may have seen this, but what's neat is, is this is the list of priority for Pastor Ben. He wants to be a great father and husband, and he wants to be a great pastor, and it falls in that order. And I'm grateful, Ben, for your investment in my life, for your investment in my wife and I's life. I wouldn't be up here sharing. I wouldn't be up here leading worship. I wouldn't be up here singing if it was not for the investment that you put into my life. So would you help me just thanking him and Jill? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Hey, we're in the middle of a fixer upper message series. And I want you to raise your hand. You're not going to like come up to the stage, but raise your hand if you've ever seen fixer upper with Chip and Joanne. We've got some people raising their hand, a lot of people. 
Yes, you're going to heaven quicker. Let's just be honest. If you're watching that show, that, that's a complete joke. Uh, but that is a great, great show. And what I thought I would do today is kind of give you a sneak peek into maybe my own journey in the fixer upper at my house. Just last December, my wife and I purchased our very first home and we've been in the middle of some projects. And, and I said this last message, but it's pretty unique how easy they make projects look. It's really not as easy as they make it, right? It's kind of like a couple days and, and, and their house is done and it looks great. And uh, so I, I brought a few pictures I want to show you. Guys in the back, you've got this. Here's the first picture. All right, so this isn't the done part of the picture, right? This is before. So uh, if y'all like the elephant on the bed and you like the, uh, the, the stuff on the walls, that, that's cool. So you got one more that shows what the, the, this is a bedroom. So we purchased this house and this bedroom's kind of off the tail end of our home. The only thing we kept is that elephant. And no, just kidding. We did not. And uh, so you can kind of see the, the, the vertical wood, uh, you know, the vertical wood kind of going on in that room. And if you'd make it horizontal for all our fixer upper fans, Joanna would call that shiplap. But right now, uh, it's, it's not. So what we did is we took it all out. So, gentlemen, show us the next one. So, right here is uh, that's me, that's my helper, Daisy. And uh, what we did is we completely gutted the entire house. And uh, my wife is awesome. I love, I love my wife. But what's, what's even extra cool about this is there, there was outside air uh, it, it completely exposed. It. You could feel the air you know, completely running through our house for about a month. But this is what it looked like. And now here's the finished product that I'm really, really proud of, right? Yeah, awesome. That's pretty cool, right? So you can kind of see uh, we're, we're starting to feel pretty good about this room. We've been able to add some, some drywall, add some lights. Hey, I want to show you my kitchen. All right, this is my kitchen. This is where we started. Um, look, wow, wow. Look, hey, hey, I, it, men and husbands in the room, I am helping you out right now. You can thank me later. I don't, you can give me gift cards, but if your wife or maybe your girlfriend, your spouse, whoever has been trying to tell you, look, we want to make our kitchen look better. This, this is my kitchen a year ago when we walked in. All right, let's show what the updated kitchen looks like. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Woo. Look at that. You know what's cool? We moved to the Caribbean. Uh, you know what? Uh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, man. Oh, hey, we got, a, look, we got a message going. All right, I'm going to show you what it actually looks like from what we updated. Let's show that photo. Yeah, that's my kitchen right now. <laughs> Have you ever had projects that you felt like you never made progress on? So if you come over to my house and we serve you lunch or we serve you dinner, that is the photo of my house. And uh, look, in this message series, we're having a lot of fun. We're talking about not just house projects, not just house renovations. We're talking about how God wants to work inside us and inside our hearts to accomplish his purposes. And just last week, Joseph taught an awesome message. And we're talking about a guy in the Bible whose name is Nehemiah. And a little bit of background about Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king, right? We're looking at this. King Artaxerxes is in power, and it's about 400 years before Christ's birth. So if you're new to church, if you're new to even Four Corners, this is such a great story of leadership. It's a great story from the Bible. It's, it's way before Jesus arrives 
here uh, in the story. And, and, and what's cool is Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And what this meant was that he had secret access and access to the king at all, all the time. Really, he really did. And on, I kind of laugh about it, but on a really good day, he's sipping wine with the king, right? He's sipping wine and hanging out. And on a bad day, he, he would be gone, right? On a bad day, he would you know, sip the wine and he, he would be gone. But it is a really awesome story. And so if you're following along in the Bible, I want you to turn to Nehemiah 2. And we encourage people to bring their Bible. So this is my Bible. I brought it. I've marked it up. I've highlighted it. That's what we're going to do today. We have it printed on the message notes as well. So if you want to grab those out, we're going to follow along. But I want to give us just a brief background of the story. And to do that, I've got a video for you. So check this out. The book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah finds out through a messenger that his homeland is in ruins. Hundreds of years earlier, the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple and walls that protected the city and dragged the people away into captivity. Years went by with the Babylonians in charge until a powerful king in Persia named Cyrus attacked and defeated the Babylonians. As a result, Cyrus allowed the people of Israel to go back and rebuild their temple. Unfortunately, the Israelites once again turned their back and sinned against God. Meanwhile, King Cyrus dies and a new king is put into power. This new king boldly proclaims that there will never be a wall built around the city of Jerusalem again. It appears the Israelites have missed their window of opportunity. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to this king. Cupbearer meaning prime minister, bodyguard and second in command. Nehemiah hears of his people's plight and his heart breaks. So he takes a risk and asks the king if he can go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The hand of God was upon Nehemiah, so the king granted his request. And after five months, Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. When he gets there, he surveys the situation for three days and then makes a speech to the people of Jerusalem. All right. It's as simple as that. Hey, take out your connect card. We'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're, we're going. Hey, pull out your Bible. We're reading along. We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to start, and then we're going to catch up here at 9. Here we go. This is what it said. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I had asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. If you're following along, right in the message notes, I want you to just circle the phrase hand of my God. We're going to talk about that here in a little, a little later. Just a little teaser. Here we go. Into verse 9. Then I came to the governor's of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. If you're following along, circle the phrase, three days. We're going to mark up, if you're following along the Bible, three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There's no animal with me. 
but the one on which I rode. We're going on a journey. Here we go. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. (laughs) That's not the area of town you want to live in, all I'm going to (laughs) say. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me. you got to imagine. Let's just imagine as he's making this journey. He's seeing walls that are completely torn down. Then I went up in the night by the valley and I inspected the wall. If you're following along, inspected the wall. Circle it. Highlight it. Underline it. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. We're starting to see a great story on leadership. I've been in the church for, for, for quite a while. My dad was a pastor, and I grew up in the church. And, and typically, if you've been around church, you hear stories of David. You hear stories of Jesus, obviously. You hear stories that that you may have heard before. But what's so interesting and cool as we we read about Nehemiah is before I began to explore it, I didn't know much about Nehemiah. And today we're going to start to learn how leadership, how God uses people for his glory. So let's, let's focus in here. Let's see the end. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials... And the rest who were to do the work. I love when it starts and says, so I went to Jerusalem. Here's something that's pretty cool is it probably took him about four months to get there. So this is a journey. This is not just a story of one guy's walk with, you know, walk with the Lord, but it's a story of a journey. This journey, journey took about four months. There's no SUVs, there's no air conditioning, there's no uh, luxury, there's none of that. He is traveling for four months. And we see Nehemiah starting to do something in that journey that I think is pretty interesting to us as we begin to figure out what does this passage or what does this book mean for us today in 2018. So if you're following along the notes, we're going to start writing some stuff in. It says this, while waiting, so over the four months, over the the three days, as soon as he got there, remember you highlighted three days, while waiting, Nehemiah prayed. (coughs) Nehemiah prayed. In the book of Nehemiah, prayers fill up about 11% of the content of the total book. So as you're reading, and I'm going to challenge you to read this this week, we're going to talk about that later, but as he is is doing his life about 11% of all the content. So there's 402 verses, 46 of them are devoted to prayer. Nehemiah prays a lot. While waiting, Nehemiah did something else. He developed patience. Did a little math. Math is not my strong suit, so if this is wrong, you can tell me later. But uh, here we go. Three days plus four months, or almost 3,000 hours, very close to three thousand hours of Nehemiah journeying, of him traveling, of him spending time with the Lord as we look and as we read. The last one, while waiting, Nehemiah planned. Nehemiah planned. And in church, we're not just going to read, we're not just going to read the Bible and, and, and figure out what that means and kind of get a good head knowledge of it. But I want to ask you a fundamental question in your own walk, whether you're 
exploring Jesus, or maybe you've been following him for quite a while now, but what do you say? So what do you say when you talk to God? So in your prayer, in your waiting, in your patience, what do you say when you talk to God? Because here's the truth. What you say means a lot. And what you say shows, it shows us how big or how small we think God is. And I'm not a professional. I'm not up here speaking and, and, and trying to encourage. This is, this is something I've got to wrestle with often. My prayer life consistently looks like, dear Jesus, thank you for the food. And would you give me a new kitchen? <laughs> got to be honest. Would you drop off, someone drop off a, a $10,000 check in my, in my mailbox so I can have a new kitchen? Lord, I've, I've been struggling with this new kitchen. So what do you say when you talk to God? In Nehemiah, and we don't have time to talk about it today, but in Nehemiah, just earlier, a couple chapters, maybe chapter one, and, and, and as it goes, we start to see what Nehemiah says when he talks to God. And it's bold, and it's full of bravery, and it's honoring to God. So church, what do you say when you talk to God? We're kind of reading into the text a little bit. But I'd like to think that, that when he arrives, you've got to think, hey, I'm ready. If I, I'm ready to start the work. If I'm Nehemiah, I am ready to get to work. But I'm going to wait three days. It doesn't say it in here, but looking back at the track record of, of his life, I'm guessing he's spending some serious time with the Lord. And in that time, we see Nehemiah begin the process of starting to plan, of starting to prep of starting to get ready for what God has for him. So what do you say when you talk to God? In our own life, in the next point here as we see, and you've marked, on your, you've marked on your things that he's beginning to inspect the walls. But before he started inspecting the walls, he developed a genuine concern for the condition of the walls. So we're reading, we're reading, if, if Nehemiah doesn't have a genuine concern for the status of the walls, and remember, these, these people that he's going to, they, they've never experienced a fortified wall. They've never experienced a neighborhood, never experienced a place that was safe. It's been for over 100 years it's been this way. So the people that he's about to be called to lead, we see in the second half of chapter 2, the people that he's expected to lead, they've never experienced a safe Neighborhood, a wall that is fortified. So God begins to work and God begins to dig down right in his own heart, but he had to develop a genuine concern for the conditions of the walls. I have another photo. This photo shows you currently what the dung gate is today. This is kind of cool, right? So right now you see a pretty fortified wall. You see... Kind of, it gets a little hairy there in the middle if, you, if I'm coming onto traffic and they're coming uh, uh, towards me as well. But this is a pretty fortified wall. This actually exists today. What you're seeing exists today. This photo was taken in 2016. Kind of cool, right? But I want you to think as you're looking at this photo, we've got to be able to realize that in this story, the reality is completely different. That the reality of the wall that that Nehemiah is inspecting as he's taking a few good men with him, the wall that he's looking at is completely different. It's not fortified. It doesn't have a nice street going through it. 
This is the dung gate. My guess is it is super smelly. I just got to be honest, right? It's probably really terrible, full of rubble. That's what it tells us. The people of Jerusalem had never experienced a fortified wall. And a concern that started with Nehemiah, but not just Nehemiah. We're going to see that God's been in this the entire time. But a concern leads to an inspection. An inspection leads to a revelation. And that's the same thing that happens in your life. It's the same thing that happens with me. When I start to develop a genuine condition and a a genuine concern for the walls that I have in my life, it leads to inspection. And I don't like inspection. And if I have to pry a little bit with you, I bet you don't like inspection in your life either. But as I begin to develop a genuine concern, I then begin to inspect, and it leads to an inspection process. And it leads to a revelation. And I, got, I want to talk real quickly to, to Christian husbands and ask the same question here. Have you inspected the walls of your marriage? Christian husbands in the room now, have you begun to inspect the walls within your marriage? It starts with a genuine concern. Have you developed it yet? Have you left? Here, here's where it gets kind of tricky. Have you let Christian husbands, talking to Christian husbands right now, have you let your wife begin to inspect the walls that you have up in your own life? So, Will, what, what would walls, what would that be? I want you to think about that. And what have you been a, become accustomed to in your own life? What have you become accustomed to? So remember, these people are beginning to be accustomed that the wall will never be complete, that the wall will never be fortified. But Christian husbands specifically, are you okay with the walls that you have up in your life? Follow me on this. Christian wives, have you inspected the walls of your marriage, of your family, of your spouse? Have you verbally affirmed and built up your husband as he tries to inspect the walls that you have up? What's so cool about this this passage is is we start seeing Nehemiah develop a genuine concern for the conditions of the walls. And we see that God has called him to build a wall. (laughs) That's awesome. God's called you to do something too, right? That's what we believe. He's called you to do something. So here we go. We see Nehemiah plan. Our next fill in the blank, if you're following along, we see this in Nehemiah's story, that faith is not a substitute for a well-thought-out plan. Faith is not a substitute for a well-thought-out plan. Nehemiah knows he's got to inspect the walls. Nehemiah knows he's got to take a few good men, a few good companions, he's got to begin to start working. I'm afraid that some of us, yes, we, we, we've got the faith. We've got the faith. God, yeah, I'm ready. We've got the faith. But when it comes to the planning part of it, we're maybe a little afraid to start stepping up and, and, and beginning to inspect the walls or stepping up and joining the small group or, or, or stepping up and joining the serving team because faith alone doesn't do it. Just believing in something doesn't do it, right? That faith is not a substitute for a well-thought-out plan. We see Nehemiah. He said, God, you've called me to, you've called me to build a wall. All right, I'm going to start planning. 
I'm going to start getting to work. I'm going to start getting to work. I want to talk a little bit about the inner circle. And we use the phrase few good men in this, but I, I, I think what Nehemiah, and we don't get, we, we don't get to see it. We've got to imagine just a little bit of, of who his inner circle was. We know who Nehemiah was. We see Nehemiah's prayer life. We see Nehemiah take action. But I want to think, and I'd like to think that he's got a few men around him that are encouraging him, that are praying for him, that are developing him as he lives out his call. So I'm going to talk about a good inner circle. And, and, and I want us to be careful of the inner circle you choose. we got to be really careful of the inner circle we choose. Proverbs 20 says this. It says, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Who can find one that's truly reliable? Man, that's true. All right, here's three things I think we see in the story of Nehemiah, but it's also true, and it can be true in our lives. A good inner circle. Here we go. A good inner circle is marked by purity and integrity. A good inner circle is marked by purity and integrity. Whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the king as a friend. The king. We don't have time to do it today, but we we knew that Nehemiah was friends with the king. We knew he had access to the king. A good inner circle is marked by purity and integrity. People in your life, an inner circle in your life, people that have purity and integrity. It's important. Number two, a good inner circle is marked by people who have a heart for God. A heart for God. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. A good inner circle. Here's the last one. A good inner circle is marked by direction. Psalm says, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. A good inner circle in your life of friends. If you're a believer and you're saying, I want to chase after the things of God in my life right now. I've got the faith. I'm ready to go to the action. A great place to start is to analyze and look at your inner circle. Who are your ride or die? Who are your people in your life you will go, you will do anything for? Who is your inner circle? This is a big part of Nehemiah's story. I got three quick questions. It's not on the notes, but I want to ask you, who is your inner circle? So who are they? And maybe your thing is like, well, I got my inner circle of college friends. Yeah, they're, they're cool, you know. But now that I'm married, now that I've moved on, they're not really my inner circle. Who are they? And why are they your inner circle? And the last one is, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your inner circle? Nehemiah is called to do an extraordinary thing for the Lord. It's not just for him. He's not going to get the glory for it. But he didn't go at it alone. We just read, and I highlight it. I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my, guard, what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. It's an important, practical tip 
Sometimes it's not always great to share with everybody what God's putting in your heart. But you need to have an inner circle. It's an old truth that I think as I get older, it, it makes more and more sense to me, is that your friends will dictate your future. Parents in the room, you've probably seen this. As your kids are starting to grow up, you're starting to see that there's friends that they should and always hang out with, and there's also friends that they should always and never hang out with. Friends will dictate your future. Starting to see it while my parents were letting me and pushing me to hang out with a certain group of friends and also saying, you, you better stay away from that guy in the neighborhood. His name was Kyle. Kyle, if you're watching online, I wasn't supposed to hang out with you, right? Your parents <laughs> have probably told you this. Because they know your friends will dictate your future. And we see it with Nehemiah, that he was choosy with his inner circle. It doesn't say Nehemiah went and he inspected the walls and he took all his buddies, all his friends, all his college drinking buddies, all his friends. It didn't matter. Come with me because the Lord put something in my heart. No, it says Nehemiah took a few good men with him to accomplish the good work that the Lord had put in his heart. So who is your inner circle? Are you satisfied with your inner circle? That's on you. That's on you. Hey, we're going to get back in the scripture. This stuff is coming alive. This stuff is coming alive. Here it said, if you're following along, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned down. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah has prayed. He's prepped. He's ready. He's now declaring to the people who are going to then. This is leadership 101 right here. He already defined the reality. And I told them of the hand of my God. Circle it. We've already seen this before, but circle it. Hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands. Circle it. Strengthen their hands for the good work. Here come the haters. Here they come. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us. Circle it right there. Jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? What is it? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah defines the reality. There's a blank. I want you to write this in. And we're going to see this. And it's pretty present that the hand of God is active and personal. The hand of God is active and personal. Nehemiah keeps mentioning it. The hand of God is personal. We fast forward a little bit. There's a reading in Psalm 89, verse 13. It says, you have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Psalm tells us of it. We're in Isaiah. We're 48. It's the Lord's call to Israel. It says, my hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth 
together. We fast forward as we see the hand of God in John as Jesus is speaking. He's just talked about being the good shepherd. He says this in verse 28, chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. This is Jesus speaking. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. We fast forward. We see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you start seeing it? Church, are we starting to see that it's not Nehemiah? It's not because he delivered a great speech. It's not because of his strength. It's because the mighty hand of God is active and personal in his life. The mighty hand of God is active. It's personal. And the mighty hand of God is all over it. <clears throat> Have you lived long enough? <laughs> Have you lived long enough to start seeing that you will only succeed in the areas that matter in life? You will only succeed if God's strong and gracious hand is upon you. Your resume, your job, your house, your car, that's not success. You will only succeed in the areas that count, in the areas that matter, in the things that matter most in eternity if God's gracious hand is upon you. And what's so cool about Nehemiah is we see this we see it firsthand as we're reading it. Thousands of years later, we're seeing that God's hand is on Nehemiah. His hand is all over it. I've got a picture uh, from my house. I want to share it with you a little bit on this. There's a picture that you'll see here in a little bit. Um, this was delivered uh, about two weeks ago. So this is 12 yards of dirt at my house. And it's still there. <laughs> Some of it's gone. But I, I came to the realization that that pile of dirt that you're looking at now and, and that I've been looking at every single day as I head to work or head to wherever, that that pile of dirt, nothing is going to change about it unless I will get to work. I put my gloves on. I get the wheelbarrow out. I get the shovel out. And I get to work on that 12 yards of dirt. It's not going anywhere <laughs> unless I start to get to work. And Christians, we see a... We see a connection here that we can't miss as we read Nehemiah 2. A connection between the hand of God and the strengthening of your hands. That the hand of God is in it. That we can have all the faith in it that we want. That God's hand is all over it. But then there is a process and a time when we begin to strengthen our own hands. That our hands begin to get stronger. And I've got to tell you, I've started to develop some calluses. I've had some blisters as I'm moving dirt as I'm getting into the earth and I'm starting to move it. But, but Christians, I've got to ask you, have your hands become a little soft? Have your hands become a little soft? You can have the faith. You can come to church. You can get the big meal. You can have the dessert here. And then you can go back home and Monday through Saturday, you never connect and never listen and never look into the word of God and never pray. And, never, and when we're praying, we're just saying what we need. Have your hands become a little soft? It's a gut check for me. 
It's a gut check for me. Man, I got all the faith in the world. I've been in this, this thing for quite a while. I actually I work at a church. But I've got to remember that it's not just God's hand on my life and then saying, God, take it. We see, we see that in Nehemiah's story, right? Nehemiah called him to do a great, God called Nehemiah to do a great work. But Nehemiah's hands had to get a little roughed up. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And here's Leadership 101. We're going to the class right near, right now. Great leaders are great followers first. Nehemiah shows this. Man, he's following the Lord closely. He's following the, the, the ultimate leader in life. He's following, but great leaders are great followers first. If you want to lead at a, at a better level, if you want to have your boss's job, if you want to you know, start rising up the ranks of your job, become a great follower first. Great leaders, and I, I bet the great leaders in your life, if you asked them, they followed really well. Great leaders are great followers first. We see Nehemiah follow the Lord. Believers in the room, Take initiative. Believers in the room, I think it's about time we, we take initiative. God, when I'm praying to you, Lord, I, I pray that you use me. I pray that, that this walk that I have with you isn't just pain-free. Lord, I've got the faith, but I'm praying, Lord, that you would use me to advance your kingdom. Can we pray that? Can we bold, be bold enough to pray and ask God to make it a little painful. That's a bold prayer. But believers, I take initiative. We read about God's mighty hand in Nehemiah's life, and we read about it all throughout this, this Bible, but there's a connection. And I don't think it's incidental. I don't think it's just because, but we see a connection between the hand of God that is alive and active and personal in Nehemiah's story, and then all of a sudden he's inspiring people to get to work to strengthen their hands. So I was talking about those haters, right? We see them <laughs> toward the end, of the end of the passage here. Here's what haters do, and here's, here's what they do in this passage. And this is, this is just true. It's true in Nehemiah, but it's going to be true in your faith journey. And it's true for mine, too. Is that opposition often reinforces the will of God rather than hinders it. So pastor of a book suggested to me from Pastor Ben. His name's Chuck Swindoll. He writes about this in a book. This is his point. That opposition often reinforces the will of God rather than hinders it. I know in my walk, as I, as I started in high school and went to college, as my faith kind of became my own, that a lot of times, man, when I got into the Word, I started to pray bold prayers. And I started to go to church. I started to serve. I started to say, hey, this $10 in my pocket, I, can't, I don't want to keep it all. I'm going to start giving a dollar to the church. That, that kind of stuff where it's, where it's a little painful. Opposition started piling up. <laughs> it always does. It always does when we lean into God fully. But we've got to remember that opposition doesn't mean that, it's not, that God's not in it. Opposition often means that God is all over it. Oswald Sanders, I, um, he writes this, but there's a book about John Wooden, former coach at UCLA, great, great coach, great coach who would lead well. 
He said this in his book, original quotes from Oswald Sanders. It says this, no leader is exempt from criticism and his humility will nowhere be seen more clearly than in the manner in which he accepts and reacts to it. No leader, no follower of Jesus is exempt from criticism. It would have been really easy if Nehemiah, in in part of his speech as he's inspiring people, as he said, look, the hand of God is on my life. Hand of God's all over it. Let me tell you my story. I was a cupbearer. Let me tell you my story. And then he could have just left it. He could have left it. And as we flip through, and, and as we flip through, we start seeing in chapter 3, and we start seeing in chapter 4, the title is Opposition to the Work. The haters aren't going anywhere. We need to inspire them to build the wall. They're not going anywhere. They're just going to stick around. Chapter 6 comes. It's, it's titled Conspiracy Against Nehemiah. We see the wall being finished, but it doesn't stop. Just because he built the wall and completed the task that the Lord had for him, the opposition didn't stop. Opposition often reinforces the will of God rather than hinders it. And here's the truth. Be prepared for resistance when you begin to lean on God fully. Like fully. Be prepared. Husbands, Christian husbands in the room, be prepared for intense opposition. When you begin to lean in and call and lead your spouse, your family, your kids, you get them to church, be prepared. Christian wives in the room, be prepared. When you're praying, when you're leading, when you're actively encouraging your kids in the day-to-day, be prepared for active and pressing opposition. When you begin to lean into the call that God has on your life. And here's the truth. God's called you for something. That's what's so cool about the hand. <laughs> and that's so cool about the body of Christ. That it's just, it, the, the body of believers, it's just, the hand is really, really important. But there's other ways too. There's other parts in your body as well. As a body of believers are activated in our local church and they're sent out. Be prepared. We're going to close up here shortly, but I, I got to finish by asking what walls, what walls in your life need some inspection? What areas in your life need a second look? Nehemiah said, I went to Jerusalem. I rose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart for Jerusalem. I inspected the walls. Verse 15, I inspected the wall. Verse 18, I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. I told them, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when the haters came my way, and they will, Opposition will come. Nehemiah simply just tells his story. He inspects. He inspires. He inspects the walls. He develops a genuine concern for what's going on. He inspires the people. And said, look at my story. God's hand's been in this thing. Now let's get to work.
Let's strengthen our hands. I want you to imagine with me. Imagine that. Imagine your walls becoming stronger. Your relationship walls, your friendships, your inner circle. Imagine them getting stronger. Imagine being a part of a church that opens the word of God, that that challenges and encourages you to draw closer. Imagine your marriage. Imagine your faith. So begin to lean into God more closely. You lean into his call more closely. It's an interesting connection between how faith and a plan go hand in hand. Faith and a plan. What I want you to do is grab out your connect cards. We're going to do this all together. If you're watching online, we're going to, you can do that. You can print it out and look at it right here. But I want to take a bold step. And if this is your, one of your first times with us or church is new to you and you've started to begin to wrestle that, that God's called you to something, that you're not just here by accident. And you want to start to believe that accepting in your heart that, that Jesus did come to this earth. That he did die on a cross. That he wasn't in the tomb anymore. You believe in your heart. You confirm that Jesus is Lord. I want you to fill this out. I want you to put next step A. Maybe you've been on the faith journey for, for quite a while and you're, you want to become baptized. It's pretty cool. A couple of weeks ago we were able to have a just, a, really it's kind of like a party. <laughs> We, get, we see people over here get baptized, and it's a next step in your journey of faith to say, hey, I want my friends to know that what God's done in my heart and what God's done in my life, I want to make it public. If you're interested in baptism, Mark B., and we're going we're to contact you here. Here's where the work gets hard. You guys ready? Next step C is this. I will read Nehemiah 1 through 6 this week in preparation for next Sunday. I'm building it up next Sunday. I'm telling you, we're getting to the part where he's going to get to work. But to prep our hearts, prep our minds, I'm going to read one through six. And if you finish six, what's cool about six is uh, there's two things. I'm not going to give away, but the conspiracy against Nehemiah. But in that same chapter, the wall is finished. So I'm going to read chapter one through six. Will, you can count on me. We're going to remind you, but I'm going to read it this week because I need to get in the word of God. Next step D is I'm going to begin to inspect the walls. I'm going to do the hard work this week. I'm going to begin to inspect the walls. Man, this is hard, but I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to take a bold step. That I will begin to inspect the walls of my friendships, my inner circle, how I pray, what I say when I pray, how my faith is. I'm going to begin to inspect the walls. Here's the final one, most difficult one. We leave it for last. I will reevaluate and change my inner circle. Yo, this is hard. It's really, really hard. But I'm going to ask Am I satisfied? my inner circle, who they need to be. We see in Nehemiah, he took a few good men with him and the hand of God was all over it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that that we have your word. We thank you that we have the story of Nehemiah. We thank you that we can read and learn more about you. And God, I pray that if your hand 
would just be on our life this week, Lord, just for a little bit, just for an hour, just for a minute, Lord, would your hand be on us as we leave this place, as we face our job, we face the boss we don't like, we face the friendship that needs adjusted, Lord, that your gracious and active and personal hand would be all over it, Lord. Be with us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you guys like to say thanks to Will for bringing us the word today? I'm proud of you, Will. Imagine having that kind of talent, being able to lead worship like he does every week, and then to turn around and give a message like that. I'd love to grow up and have that ability one day. Hey, I'm really, really honored that you're here. If you call this church home, this is an opportunity for you to invest back in the ministry of this place. You can use the offering envelope on your seat, or you can take it home and mail a gift in this week. You can put cash in. You can write down a credit card, or later on in this week, you can jump online and give. There are some folks coming right now to receive your offering. If you are a guest, your gift today to us is to put the Connect card that you filled out in the offering bucket, and we'll communicate with you. For those of you that do call us home, let me give you a little bit of information. So uh, we concluded last week our Easter offering, which goes to serve our missions efforts, as well as some projects here in town, and we had set a goal for $30,000, and uh, as of last week, you guys, because you're a generous and faithful church, you guys contributed $30,052, so we hit our goal. Well done. We can say with Nehemiah that the good hand of God is upon us. It is. The good hand of God is upon us. Let's pray about our offering and our next steps, and then we'll do a little worship together. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for what you're doing. God, I want to thank you uh, for using Pastor Will in this congregation. Thank you for the gifts and talents and obedience in that young man. Lord, your good hand is upon him. And your good hand is upon our church. It has been at work in our lives. We acknowledge it, we confess it, we proclaim it. And because you have been good to us, because you have blessed us with more than we need, it is our joy to give back to you a portion that you have blessed us with. Thank you, Lord for the generosity of this church, for the orphanage in India, for the work in Cuba, for the work down the road in Hamilton. Thank you that we're able to go beyond these walls and do ministry because people are good and kind and generous. Lord, would you take our money and would you take our next steps and would you help us to go farther than we could ever go on our own? Lord, as we put our hands to work, would you strengthen our hands? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.